Hello and welcome. I'm Peter White. Today's show is a drama special with interviews with some of the biggest names in scripted television. We head back to the 17th century in Jamestown and discover what happened to America's first mail-order brides in Carnival Films' period drama for Sky One. We also figure out what it's like to find £11.5 million in your bank account in Channel 4's comedy drama Loaded. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Joining me in the studio are Howard Birch, Creative Director of Scripted at Cachette UK, and Polly Lees, Joint Managing Director of Hillbilly Films and Television. Uh, before we speak to Howard and Polly, let's hear a clip from the show when the guys find out they just might be loaded. I feel like I'm in a hip-hop video. Yeah, you're in. Just like Jay-Z with your goose down pillow. Can I vape in the Ferrari? No, you cannot vape in the Ferrari. No one deserves millions for a cat game that mums play on the toilet. When the money comes in, it just sends everyone a bit funny. <laughs> replace all the covers with dishwashers. Please don't replace all our covers with dishwashers. There's only one way to climb to the top. Treading on people's faces. Why is it that you're being not nice to us? What are you doing? Showing you that I care. Two words, baby, matching hovercrafts. You're the least subtle millionaire since the Monopoly man. A brand new British series, Loaded, coming soon on Channel 4. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, how's it going? I gather you've just come back from a mix. Is that right, Polly? Yeah, I've been in the mix for episode five for the UK version and episode three for the American version this Wonderful. morning. So, Loaded is based on Cachette's 2007 format, Mesudarim. Uh, how did the UK remake come about in the UK? So what we do, or what we did do, and what we continue to do with cachette material from Israel is to look at reformatting it for the UK in an English-language version. There's uh, cachette studios in the States that have got good track record doing this with Homeland. Cachette Productions in the UK set up around about sort of 2012 to look at the, doing the same thing with the Israeli content here. So the A word was one of the first ones that we did, which we brought over originally in Israel. It was called Yellow Peppers. And we brought it over here, and Loaded was the second one. The benefit of having those shows is that you can show the broadcasters a finished tape. So we would go into the broadcaster and say, look, you know, are you interested in this? It's a really good idea at the heart of this. Obviously, it's in Hebrew, so very few British-language stations are going to broadcast the original. But the idea of reformatting it is, is attractive to broadcasters as, as a source of, of new material. In those days, Cachette was just starting out, so we were looking to co-produce. And very early on, we, we went to Hillbilly because they've got a great track record with comedy. We showed them the finished tape and they got excited about it. And, and so a partnership was born. Was this before you took it, uh, took it out to the market? No. So what we, what we generally try and do is get a broadcaster interest first. So we had Channel 4 on board. We'd been talking with Channel 4 about doing a series. We, uh, Hillbilly had won a BAFTA for them for a single that we'd done a few years ago called Random. And we'd been talking with them about doing a series. We'd met with Cachette, had seen the show, really, really loved it. And at the same time, I seem to remember you were talking to, to Channel 4. So it felt there was quite a synchronicity going on around about that time. So you guys did the deal with Channel 4 and when we did the deal. And then how does it work in processing in terms of going forward? You guys, it's a co-production. In, in it's a, a co-production, but, but it's very much Hillbilly running the show. At, at that stage of our development, you know, that we were quite a new production company to the UK. So we felt that we needed the co-production benefit of having a production company that actually done something in the UK. So we are there as co execs co-producers but it's very much hillbillies who are in the driving seat and then you've got john brown on board who'd yeah. written episodes of uh, fresh meat and mm -hmm. peep show so he came on board to, mm -hmm. to write the uk version yeah 
Had you worked with John before? We'd not worked with John. We'd wanted to work with John. I think tonally he's very in tune with the kind of stuff we like and the stuff we make. Again, he was looking to kick something off. He'd worked a lot on other people's shows and it felt, again, just good timing. He totally got the show. He's very funny, but he's also not massively laddish. And I think the the thing that we were sort of, as a female-led company aware of is that there is there are different versions that this show could have turned into and I think what we've ended up with we're really proud of that it's not so blokish that it's not it's you know that it will appeal to a broader audience you didn't want it to be the sort of UK version of entourage very laddie behavior we've heard the word entourage quite a lot during the whole process and we've tried you know it's a great show I love entourage myself but it's not exactly the show we are setting out to make no. but it has a similar t- more of a similar tone to to some of the stuff that he might have worked on before yeah. like Misfits and Fresh totally. Meat that. and striking that comedy drama mm-hmm. element is interesting isn't it could you talk about that yeah I mean for John he always wanted it to be funny I think we all feel that you can take an audience to some quite dark places when you're making them laugh the, the show is funny but there are some sort of very as I said, it's very sort of black humour moments in it. But there is also an overarching story. I think the original Israeli show played as a comedy. I think it was half hours, wasn't it? And ours is uh, for the 45 minute slot. So we wanted to have more sort of story, more emotional depth in it, and also to have an overarching story that would carry the the series through. Is it much different to the original? I I think the great thing about these adaptations or reimaginings, really, is is when you take them to different countries they all put a very national slant on them. And, and I think this, the, the brilliance of Loaded and the brilliance of what John has done with it is, that, is actually he's, he's pulled up the very British strengths of the awkwardness and embarrassment of having a, a lot of money at a very young age, <laughs> which is, I think is, it makes Britain the, the best home for the idea, really, because it, you can get so much comedy and awkwardness out of that concept. Uh, and I'm not sure whether that was the case in the original Israeli. So, so sometimes moving them to a different country is a real benefit and and you know we've seen Pete Bowker do the same with the A word he's you know he's created that he's made that his own from from an Israeli series this one I think John has has had the freedom and encouragement to go off on his own and, and run with the original concept much more than some of our other reformats but John is is a fantastic writer and has mm. brought so much originality to 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 the concept really but I think it works especially well in Britain just because the idea seems to yeah. <laughs> seems to suit our national psyche and because you say it's quite British but you've got a US uh, co-producer on board in terms of AMC the, mm-hmm. the US cable network how did you do that is it still got that very British tone despite having an American partner it was developed by Channel 4 so we went to AMC we went out to the market with with it when it had been greenlit by Channel 4 so the scripts were always very uh, the tone of it was always very British and it was playing on those strengths that you were saying Howard AMC came on board and bought into the idea totally I think because it's a 45 minute slot that plays in their hour slot and so they haven't invested in masses of comedy but this works for them for the hour slot but they uh, they were always on board totally I think also as Howard was saying when you've got the strength of a voice like John's right at the heart of it and everyone buys into that and John steered it through so we did have other writers working on it but John was always across all of the scripts so the tone was set and everyone was on board that. Also within the the DNA of the show 
there is this big legitimate American element, i.e. that the boys sell out to an American company. Mm. So we, that meant that we were able to get a big American star coming over. AMC were obviously happy with, mm. and across all that casting. So it never this is Mary McCormack this from Mary the West Wing. And so it never felt that we were sort of shoehorning American elements into it to make it suitable for an American audience. There is that natural storyline of an American company buying a British company. So hopefully it'll appeal to them as, as you know, and feel a natural sort of um, segue of, of American and British elements. We've seen a few American companies buy British companies uh, in our own <laughs> business uh, recently. Can you talk about the production process? And, and particularly, you, you mentioned there at the top that there were two different versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what were some of those production challenges? The AMC version is ever so slightly longer because it's 42.50 as opposed to, I think, 42 or just under 42 minutes for Channel 4. The nice thing is that we can put some jokes back in. I think the biggest challenge was the swearing because uh, making a show for Channel 4 at 10 o'clock, it's quite a sweary show and John likes a, a swear word or two and AMC have very strict guidelines on what swearing you're allowed and you're not allowed. So we were sent this list and you're allowed... Am I allowed? To, I am allowed. You to are swear. allowed to swear on the okay. podcast. podcast. <laughs> my mother's not listening. Uh, no. Uh, so you're allowed ten shits per episode, um, but no fucks at all. So you you have to have a sort of swear count. Uh, once a process is in place, which we worked out, you, it all sort of works. You just have to set, put the process in place. So all the scripts, all the different drafts went through what they call S&P, standards and practices, and we get notes back. We get these hilarious memos with long lists of swear words that we're not allowed. What do you change them to? Anatomically correct is fine, so you can change dick to penis. And um, So in the opening episode, for instance, there's a, a scene very early on with a barbershop quartet, and they are singing, in the UK version, they're singing Fuck You. And in the American version, they're singing Suck My Balls, aren't they? Yes. So you're allowed. So it's still sweary, but it's just different types of swear words. We have to take all the fucks out. No. So we, so when I've been in the mix today, your radar is up to make sure that we've taken them all out. So we shot alts when we were filming. So we had two different versions of the sort of the sides that were going out each day and on the call sheet it would say if there was a scene being shot they would say they would need an alt version I have to say the production were fantastic at getting across it so our producer Charlie Leach and the various first ADs and script supervisors were all totally across it it's worked pretty well actually And, and where did you film? We had a production office based in Ealing, not Ealing Studios, just around the Ealing area, but we filmed all over London. And we did one week um, on the south coast, down in Hamble, because we got a week on a super yacht. So, <laughs> so in the show, it's not it's presumably not the south coast? Uh, no, I think it is, actually. Yes, it, it is the south coast. So it's London set show, and because they buy a boat, the, the nearest bit of coastline is, let's say, the south coast. Okay. Yes. But I think, you know, the great thing about, uh, you know, Channel 4 and AMC and having that additional money from AMC is mm. obviously, you know, it's a show about millionaires. And so you need to splash the cash on the toys. Yeah. That's been a challenge, but I think we've achieved that on but, screen. Yeah, I think we have. Uh, <laughs> Do you have a large element of the budget going to the yacht? <laughs> Yes. It was a sizable. I mean, in the show, it, I don't think it's set in January, but we did film it in January, so I think we got a little discount on that one, but it was very, very cold. Um, and I think the grade has done wonders, and it doesn't look as cold as it was. And boats are cheaper in January. That's boats are cheaper in January. <laughs> but, you know, there's Ferraris, there's helicopters. You know, they, it, it, you know, they needed to look like proper millionaires. And, yeah. you know, the worst thing we could have done is if it looked like a, a cheap you know, £100 show with, with 
you know, fake money. It had yeah. to look real. Yeah. And I gather one of the other differences between the Israeli version and the, and the UK version is that there are a number of female characters in the, in the UK version. Is that right? There are female characters, obviously, in the Israeli version. There was a character that myself and Kate, who runs Hillbilly with me, really, really liked, which was a sort of business advisor character. When we talked to Keshet right up front, we were saying one of the things we would like to do is increase the role of the female characters. And then when John started the process of writing and developing the project, he was very, very adamant that he wanted the female characters to have their own storylines, to be funny in their own right, not just to be sidekicks to the male characters. It was a positive strategy of ours to increase the number of female roles. And the Mary McCormack role... Is that the character that Mary McCormack Mary McCormack plays plays the woman that has bought them for the American company, and she she comes over. And that's a great bit of casting. How did that come about? That came about because it was the role that we'd been talking to AMC about because it was the American role. So we drew up a a list, a wish list, with their casting advisor in America. And I'll be totally honest, Mary was absolutely top of our list. And we went to her first, kind of expecting to go through a process. And she read the script and said, yeah, I'd love to talk and do it. So it was a much easier process than I think any of us thought it was going to be. And talk to us what happens over the the eight episodes. Obviously, they, they get this windfall, uh, what, £11.5 million in their bank account <laughs> at, at the start, and, and they go on this journey. But what are you, what are you sort of reaching towards for, across the, the run? The sort of story that we're playing on is that the, the pressure on them, because they're tied into the company still. It's not like they've made all their money and they can just go and travelling and around the world or whatever. They are tied into the company. And the role that Mary McCormack plays, called Casey, comes over and starts putting pressure on them for the next big thing. And it's to do with their dawning realisation of who they've sold themselves to and the corporatisation of the company and how much they don't like that. The overarching story really builds towards what their next game's going to be. There's a few similarities in the, uh, in the TV business, <laughs> as I said. But um, I think, that, I think there's also, you know, they're really relatable characters because mm. when I first saw the show, I thought, you know, is this really going to work in the UK? Because, you know, these are just wealthy millionaires and surely they've just got first world problems about how they spend their money. They're really sympathetic characters. But, you know, one of the characters, Josh, has got this ongoing on-off relationship with his girlfriend, which is just, you know, it happens to you whether you've got a bank account of £100 mm. or £100,000. So, so those are the stories that I think are really engaging. You know, and it's about you know, how you move on with your life as much as what, how you spend the money. And, and what else is going on with, with you guys, I guess, uh, in, in terms of Hillbilly? Uh, what, uh, what, what else is going on? Well, it's been a busy year for us, because a busy two years, actually, because last year we made a show for ITV called The Level, and then we went straight into production on this. It starts, it goes out in America in July, so that will be a first for us, actually, and we're really excited about that. Opens and the then, doors to the States, doesn't yes. it? Yes, Hopefully, fingers crossed. We're planning a trip over there while it's going out to talk to some people. Obviously developing more and more shows. and a- Any types of genres that are currently exciting you, types of things? At the level is obviously a, a police mm-hmm. series. We've got a range of projects. We're developing some books that we've just optioned. I think we're... Um, just talking with some writers about that now. I think we're known as a writer-led company, so we work with writers who are passionate and sort of author-led projects. I mean, we've got a couple of front runners, but we'll have to see. And obviously, 
loaded too. Yeah, good. And, and how are any other gems in the cachette uh, catalogue that uh, uh, might be coming this way? Second second series of the A Word is shooting at the moment. I was just up there in Manchester yesterday. A, a really exciting read through for the final episodes of that second series. And cachette, we're now moving into this stage of producing our, ourselves. So we're, we're we'd never say never to doing a co-production again, but we're looking now to to produce our own material. So we're out to broadcasters with two or three other Israeli reformats and excitingly we're also now doing our own original material as well so we've optioned a book and got another development in which is an original idea from an original writer which is great that's interesting so not just looking at the cachette catalogue looking to see what you guys can create on your own i think so but you know it's absolutely fantastic having having that revenue uh, having that ip revenue stream which is brilliant because they just come up with really good ideas some of them work are going to work in the uk some of them aren't but i think there's a limit to the number that the broadcasters will take on over here and so we just need to supplement, I think, with with original material. So um, we'll be acting uh, as a fully fledged indie in our own right. Finally, uh, given uh, given if you found yourselves with uh, eleven and a half million pounds in your bank account, what uh, what would you spend it on? I'd, I'd buy a golf course, I think. Bizarrely, would you? I don't know. I just I'd, I'd love to have a golf course somewhere on the coast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. And, and, and Volley, what would you uh, um, what would you spend your money on? And n- not a golf course. <laughs> I don't know. I've never really thought of it. Um, I always want a bit more time. I don't know whether money can buy you more time, but that's <laughs> what I would like. Well, wonderful. Uh, well, well, talking of time, uh, loaded premieres on Channel Four on Monday, May eighth at ten pm. We head to Jamestown, the first permanent English settlement in North America and scene of Carnival Films' latest period drama for Sky One. The eight-part drama stars Naomi Batrick, Sophie Rundle and Neve Walsh as three Englishwomen shipped to the US to become wives. There's squalor, there's sex and there's hostile natives in this series, which was written by Bill Gallagher. We caught up with Gareth Neem, managing director of Carnival Films and executive producer of the show in his busy central London office. Uh, Before we join Gareth... Here's a clip of the show. It's all too clearly that men have the law here. You have been brought here as the property of your husband, and you will behave accordingly. What if these men have been on their own for so long they're not men anymore? They desire us beyond their understanding. If we are to be free, We must possess their minds, their souls, their balls. Do not let this place do to you what it has done to us men. You will be a good husband to me. We've let the wickedness in amongst us. Women. So I'm joined by Gareth Neem, Managing Director of Jamestown Producer Carnival Films. Hello, Gareth. Hello. How are you doing? How are you? Good, and yourself? And the, and so the show launches on Friday. So how did Jamestown come about? Well, I really, you know, I love working on shows that are creating shows that are about precincts, you know, defined environments where, where the characters, you know, you have a, an ensemble of characters who all interrelate to each other and uh, the storylines twist and turn and uh, they're, you know, full of narrative and where you're not really distracted by external things, you're just in that environment. And I thought, you know, how can we do something actually that was about American history that would be more relevant you know, in, in the US and uh, a different take on what we've been doing with Downton. And about the same time, 
the producer Sue de Beauvoir came into us with this idea of approaching the story of the Jamestown colony, which was obviously a territory we we knew about, you know, we knew the history, but what we didn't know is that the specific idea that Sue brought into us was the idea that several years after the the colony had really just about taken root, they'd managed to survive the early years, the inhabitants realised that there was no next generation. If this was going to work for the long term, they needed the next generation. And what Sue had um, discovered from the history was that an initial boatload of women was basically sent over from England over to Virginia. And the passage was paid for by the individual men of the colony who decided which wives they wanted. They paid for the passage so that they could have wives and and have a family. America's first mail-order brides. Exactly right. Probably the world's first ever. I don't know. But... um, and we thought this was a fascinating way into it all. But, and I, I really liked the idea of, you know, colonising this new world. I was sort of a bit like one of those sci-fi movies where the, the Earth is dying and a, there's a spaceship going, going across the universe full of people to colonise a new planet. But they had no idea where they were going to. They had no idea whether it was going to work, whether they would survive. But it also had that sense of um, the optimism of a new world and the excitement of a journey and so on. And so we just thought that, you know, these women colliding in this very male environment in Jamestown would be a great precinct for a drama. So, um, so that's how the idea came about. And then I went to writer Bill Gallagher and proposed this idea to him. Had you worked with Bill before? Yeah, I'd worked with Bill many years ago on a, a brilliant series he created called Conviction. And I'd always tried to work with him since, and I'd never managed to persuade him to, to work with me again. I had never quite had the idea that worked for him. And he, when I explained this idea to him, his, his eyes lit up, and um, he was really excited about it. And he told me that he'd grown up watching TV shows like High Chaparral, you know, sort of westerns, and had always wanted to write a western. Mm. And we both saw this as a kind of uniquely British western. It's a frontier show in the Americas, but the characters are all British. Yeah. And we thought that we were kind of uniquely placed to create a show like that. Just stepping back once, I'd read that Sue was inspired by a book by a guy called James Horn. That's right. Is that something that you optioned or you just sort of worked with? with we worked with him as, a, as an advisor on the show. And in fact, he's one of many advisors that, that we've used. Uh, he's the, the all-round expert on the Virginia colony and Jamestown. So you but, can get that period yes, right. Yes, and we've also worked with experts on the Native American side of things. And, you know, we've, we've tried to be very, very authentic in it all. There's a lot of Native American actors. Yes. So you, you worked with people to make sure that, that everything was, you know, right and proper in, in the characterization yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. And so then Bill put together a script, Bill put together a, a pitch. Yeah, he came back in to see me a few weeks later and he pitched the main characters including their names right from the beginning. And, and I, I remember being very struck by the character names. This is Jocelyn, Alice and Verity. Yes, it was, you know, it was, you know particularly, I think his starting point was he, he described, you know, there's a key relationship which is revealed, you know, right at the beginning of the first episode, which is essentially a sort of love triangle between Verity and these two brothers, uh, Henry and Silas. I, I remember love, I just thought, oh, Silas is such a good name and so is Verity. And then when he talked about you know, the tavern keeper being called Meredith Rutter. Just, I thought that was a good name. So the, the character names, which of course are not usually very important to viewers because it takes you an awfully long time to ever kind of get used to character names. You have to be very familiar with the show before you, before you register that. And yet to me, they made the characters feel quite three-dimensional. 
And then you took it to Sky, presumably. Yes, I think we developed the idea for a while. We And I think I didn't talk to Sky about it until we had a first episode and they were brilliantly responsive. I mean, they really were. They got behind it very, very quickly. Why did you take it to them in the first place? In some respects, I thought this might be an, another ITV show, but there was just this added dimension of, of it being set in America and being a little bit edgier. And I think it's, it's edginess and the fact that it was in a different world, a new world. There's something very, very mainstream and accessible about the show, but there's something a little bit dangerous as well and something edgy. And I just felt its differentness made it a sky show. The script is beautifully written and you know, Bill's writing is both accessible, the language is quite poetic and, and they responded to it in exactly the same way that, that, that we had. Yeah. And then I gather you recreated the James Fort in Hungary, is that right? Yes, we considered lots of... Pl- I mean, you know, for us as a, as a UK-based producer to shoot in the US, I felt that was going to be an expensive option. And, you know, I think shooting in Virginia um, be quite hard to find appropriate locations. Canada, the weather's not really right, too far north. South Africa, we looked at, um, but issues to do with um, incentives, exchange rate, things like that, that didn't work out for us either. Um, and so the, the Hungary option worked very well because we do a lot of production there. Um, and the great thing about the weather and the conditions in, in Hungary, you can, you know, we built this colony about an hour outside Budapest, but you get um, uh, a lot of variety. Um, and some huge landscapes. Um, and it's not the first time that Central and Eastern Europe has been used to depict, uh, you know, the Appalachians and, and, you know, those parts of um, the Americas. Um, and uh, one of the other things we realized about the conditions is that if we shot from, I mean, they've got very, very extreme weather in, in Central Europe. So the winters are very cold and snowy and icy and the summers are very hot. And if we shot between May and September, that we get the sun very high up. You know, we, we would get uh, a southern kind of feel to it, which we have in the show. Our great friend, Donald Woods, who was the production designer on Downton Abbey, created this extraordinary version of, of the Jamestown colony. He built your set. Yeah. yeah, and it's a composite set, so um, there's no there's no work on stage. Everything is the interiors are there on site, so you really can take somebody from, you know, getting off the ship and walking through the colony and into their own house and into, into bed, or you, know, you can do. It. So it gives us a, it, it really makes the place come to life. There are not any of those um, cuts that you sometimes have to put in and this sort of thing. And then we went further afield. We went up, you know, more up into mountains, and there were very big rivers there and. So the irony of it being a landlocked country that we we have our characters arriving by ship means that through the wonder of production um, we can make it work. The very very opening sequence all takes place in the in a ship on, on the the Atlantic. So we had to do some filming in Spain as well to yeah. cover that. It sounds like quite a big a big production. How long did it take? Well, it's about six months yeah. of, of, of production. What were the challenges? Anything more than usual? I think the normal. The normal challenges of creating any new show, you know, every character needs to be cast and considered carefully and costumed correctly. Uh, we do meet Native American characters, so we had to cast in North America for, the, for those roles. We used casting directors who'd been involved in movies like The Revenant and who were very particular in, in the Native American acting community, and we brought a number of actors over to... Hungary, and we had the challenge of native languages, 
um, which we've covered. So there are, the show is mostly in English, but there are some scenes where they go up to the Native Americans uh, settlements and they have to you know, have meetings with them. So that was an added challenge. It combines both the idea of a front and sh frontier show or, or Western, but I think viewers will see there's also quite a big dose of the Jacobean drama in there. There's a lot of politicking and backstabbing and the duplicity of the sort of Jacobean revenge plays, which of course were, you know, the Ben Jonson kind of era of the early 17th century. Does it share any similarities with The Last Kingdom in any way? There is behind the scenes intrigue and infighting and politicking. Um, but all in all, I think the show is probably closer to something like Deadwood than, than anything else. There are similarities with Downton even, that it is about there are elements of class and the way that men and women uh, interrelate and the fact that people live their lives they have ambition and they have, uh, you know, they want, to, they want to make a success of their lives and they want to get married and have a family. And, these, and the, this is a life on the edge of the world. This is much more dangerous. And these people have no rules. So the show across the episode very much deals with issues like law and order and how are they going to make sure that everyone behaves themselves and religion and health and how are they going to keep the population healthy? How are they going to defend themselves? How are they going to have a system of governance and and the idea of democracy and um, labor and, and you know these are very you know in, in a show like Downton we didn't have any of these issues because it was in a very ordered world with with um, society's codes all around it this is much more dangerous where everything has to be created from scratch and where do we get to in those eight episodes presumably you're looking at this as, as a long-running series but you want to get somewhere in those eight episodes that's exciting for the viewer I think it is a very exciting show. The characters are immensely compelling and the situations that we put them in are at times life and death situations. Uh, and it's also very funny. There are strong comedic characters in there as well. So uh, uh, we, we really have enjoyed making it and we, we're pretty pleased with how the episodes have turned out. And how was it putting together, obviously, a big budget drama? You know, we're in a world of, of peak drama. Was it relatively straightforward to, to put the show together? Well, it was straightforward in the sense that there was not a lot of resistance with, with Sky, who were so supportive from the beginning. You know, they funded a, a typical license fee on the show. And our business model is, because we're part of NBC Universal, we have access to funds, but we always have to create um, a very solid business case. We always look for very tax-efficient environments to work in, whether that's the UK or other countries like Hungary. We put things together on a very sort of uh, business-oriented way. How do you see the drama market at the moment? Is it sustainable? I have absolutely no idea. An agent in Hollywood said to me recently, this is a fantastic time to be an actor and to be an actor's agent because there is so much work around in one sense. You know, I've said this before and I still believe it to be true. About at the turn of the century, there was a big question mark about drama and its role. It was so expensive and it wasn't really delivering. And it partly as a response to that, reality television was born and was the exciting genre to be in at the turn of the century. And um, I remember thinking that the genre that I decided to go into and I've always been in, you know, was on the back foot. It really was then, I think. Unfortunately, in this country and in the US, some great commissions started to come through and there was real ambition. And then you have this whole globalization. And, um, and now, the positive, great positive is that drama is everywhere. Every network and cable outlet in the English-speaking world seems to have to have drama to make its mark. Um, 
So all in all, for drama and narrative storytelling, this is a fantastic thing. But the challenge that we face with a show like Jamestown right now, or any other new show, is how will this one be the one that cuts through? And that's the unknown quantity. There's cutting through and also, presumably, there's other challenges in terms of production and writers. There's a lot of people say that, you know, the good writers are, are really busy right now. Yes, there's a problem with everything between writers, actors and studio space. But I think you'd have to stand back from all of that and say it's a good problem to have. It's better to have big demand and, and for the industry to respond to that demand. For And I hope that will result in more and more young people who are in further education now thinking I'm not going to go into the law or into finance, I'm going to become a screenwriter because I can make a great career doing that. And and then all of the other disciplines that we need to that we need in production. Um, that's the only way we're going to rise to this challenge. And what else is coming up from Carnival that we uh, that you can tell us about? We just finished the run on the second season of Lucky Man. It's just finished and we hope that there'll be more of, of that. Last Kingdom is just about to finish its second season so we hope that there'll be more of that. Touchwood, you're looking for recommissions on both of those? Yeah, and um, we have a huge slate of other shows in the pipeline. That was Gareth Neem, boss of Carnival Films and executive producer of Jamestown, which launches tonight, Friday the 5th of May, on Sky One. And that's your lot for this week's episode of Talking TV. My thanks go to Polly, Howard and Gareth. I'm Peter White, and the producers are Chica Ayres and Matt Hill from Rethink Audio. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs>